Uh, Open your books to the Gospel of John, 17th chapter. Gospel of John, 17th chapter. If you're familiar with this chapter, you know that it's this intimate moment between Jesus and the Father. It's right before he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane when he's arrested and ultimately goes to the cross. So if I was to describe Jesus' kind of disposition, uh, he's in a lot of agony. There's a lot of anguish. And he's having this intimate moment just between him and the Father, and he's praying about some things. He's asking the Lord, uh, the Father, for some things for himself. He's praying for the disciples and those who will carry the message of the gospel from that point on. He actually says a prayer for all believers throughout the ages. It's a really powerful, powerful chapter. I want to dial in today uh, to the verses 6 through 19, so we'll read a little decent chunk of scripture to open up. But I want you to get the whole scene, and Jesus is praying for the disciples, those who would follow him, those who would carry the message of the good news, but also there is some things, there are some things here that we're to tune into that help us to see if we're going to be disciples, there are some things we need to be prepared for, okay? So let's read verse 6, Jesus says to the Father, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you, for I've given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those who you have given me, for they are yours. All Mine and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you have gave me, I kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And you, as you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. That's a healthy dose of scripture right there, I know. But there's a lot happening here that I want to draw our attention to today. I think this would be a very timely message just for the state of the church and the culture place that we're in today as a nation. Again, if you're new, we welcome you. And I'd like to let you know that as a church at the beginning of this year, we were led by the Spirit of God to really make a declaration that this was going to be our greatest year of spiritual growth. And we've invited everyone to join us in that, to make that your agenda, your pursuit. And if you're new, I still invite you, join us in that as we 
go through the fourth quarter of this year. Make this your greatest year of growth. Get closer to God than you've ever been before. See your faith grow and increase to become an overcoming kind of faith. That's a big part of what we've talked about is a faith that overcomes. Say it this way, a faith that doesn't waver. A faith that doesn't cower down and fold in the face of adversity or in the pressures of today. Church, I'm here to tell you this morning that if you're going to grow in your faith, if you're going to see your faith increased and strengthened, then it's going to have to pass the test of opposition. It's going to have to meet opposition, a force that is driven by the prince of the power of darkness that does not want your faith to grow and increase, that does not want your life with God to go deeper than it's ever went before. There is going to be opposition the moment that you choose and decide to make this your greatest year of growth, the moment you decide to adhere to and follow the word of God in your life is the moment that you step into the greatest cosmic battle that your soul has ever known. If you're not pursuing that, you are not a threat to the devil. Does that make sense? If you are pursuing that, you are a threat. So this is putting us on notice. As if we haven't been already, but I want to draw our attention to that today. The title of the message is Hold the Line. Hold the Line. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we come to you today and we ask you for your word, for your truth, for eyes to see and ears to hear. We ask you for an understanding heart, Lord. We acknowledge that without your Holy Spirit showing us the way. We cannot know the way. And so we are completely dependent upon you. I I ask, Lord, that you would anoint me, that you would use me. I I have no confidence in my ability to bring anything of transformational value to people. But, Lord, I have all confidence in you. And so I pray that you would use me. I pray that you would plow the ground of our hearts right now, till the soil, Soften it, tenderize it, get it ready for the seeds of your word that would become the implanted word in our hearts today to take root, to bear much fruit. And we come against any evil force or opposition, demonic, that may try to prevent this from happening. We bind that in the name of Jesus Christ. We come against distracting spirits, dividing spirits. Come against anything that would try to take someone's heart and mind into another place today, Lord. And I ask that you would just help us to dial in, to to put our focus entirely on you in these moments now. In Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. amen, amen. So the prayer here of Jesus with the Father to me is very revealing about the pending mission of the church, of disciples of Jesus Christ, and it actually kind of sets the stage for really what we see Jesus essentially speak in the Great Commission. We talked much about that in our recent series, uh, where he says, I'm sending you into the world. 
right? Now, when we read these scriptures, I, I kind of hit on, if you caught this, specific phrases to just bring your attention a little bit more to as we read. One of those phrases was Jesus saying, they're not of the world. I've called them out of the world, right? So when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, something significant, something miraculous, something supernatural happens. The Bible refers to this as a change of citizenship. Um, We're born into this world in sin. We need a Savior, a Deliverer to redeem us and bring us back into relationship with the Father. So we go from death to life, spiritually speaking, when that happens. But Scripture also tells us that when we are born into the world in sin, until we come to know Jesus, we are considered foreigners or strangers to God. But whenever we come to know Christ and we're given His Spirit, that changes. We actually are given the Spirit of adoption and we become members of the family of God. So we are no longer strangers, we are friends, as we talked about last week. And something else occurs where we were members or citizens of prior, which was the world and its culture and its ways and its belief systems, when we come to know Jesus, then we actually become strangers or foreigners in the world. So there's an exchange of citizenship. Are you with me? We are registered in heaven, citizens of heaven, but temporally we are living in a foreign land. It's important that you see it that way. That you know this world right now that we're in is not your home. That our home is actually in heaven and we belong, our citizenship belongs to heaven. That's important because heaven has a whole set of rights and promises and and privileges that we get that the world doesn't operate by that we need to live in the world with. And Jesus said, they're not of the world. They don't belong here anymore. And because they're not of the world, there's a big tension that's happening. There's a big kind of opposition and a lot of things that are going to be coming against them. And these prayers are directed and driven towards that. A lot of times when we come to know Jesus, we come to know him and we give our life to him and we're filled with joy and encouragement and hope as we should be. And oftentimes we kind of hit reality whenever we go back to our life and we realize, wow, there's still a mess all around me. Has anybody ever experienced or relate to that? I've talked to people many times and they'll say, Pastor Matt, I just wish that now that I know Jesus, I just, I wish I, I could, he could just, just get me out of all this darkness and stuff that I've been around all this time. I, I think I'm just going to move or leave or, I don't know, just abandon everything and just start this new life. And I hold, 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 hold the phone. While there are times that happens, God moves us and repositions us, what I have found more often than not is that Jesus is actually interested in keeping us right where we were. What's different is that we're not the same. (laughs) You follow me? The darkness that we were around, the, the difficulties, the people who are challenging, we're looking at them in new eyes now. We are the ones who are changed. But Jesus said... Did you catch this? I'm not praying that you would take them out of this world. I'm actually sending them back into 
the world. <laughs> It'd be nice to just be done, right? But if that were the case, every time somebody got saved, it'd be like the rapture. They're gone. Can you imagine that every Sunday? People are just leaving all over the place. The church is shrinking for good reasons right now, actually. (laughs) But that's not the case. People are being changed and transformed every single week, not only in our church, but churches in our region that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But people are remaining in a dark world for a reason, And for a purpose, and Jesus is saying, I'm not taking them out. That's not my plan. I'm actually leaving them here in to do something to make a difference. It's where we kind of get the phrase that we, you've probably heard this. It comes from these verses that we are in the world, but not to be of the world. It means I'm here, but I'm not worldly. I'm godly, not worldly. Does that make sense? I think that's the desire of a, of a Christian, of a follower of Jesus. I think we can probably all, for the most part, agree and grab on to that. That's important. However, it comes with a conflict. It comes with a challenge. It's not something that is just going to happen on its own. We're going to have to actually hit adversity, opposition, and then overcome it. Not just be pulled out of the things that are challenging us. You know, there was a demonic man, a demon-possessed man, that Jesus healed and delivered. And when he was done with the ministry to this man, the man actually begged Jesus to go with him. He begged Jesus to take him on the road with him and out of the village and away from all the people that he had known or that he had been around. And Jesus says something really remarkable. I think it's kind of telling to us. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to leave you right where you are. In fact, I want you to go back to that same village, and I want you to testify of what I've done for you. Are you with me, church? He's got a plan, doesn't he? He's got a plan to use us to be agents of change. You see, the Bible is clear that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. However, as children of God, we don't have to be swayed. We can actually do the swaying. The Bible presents it this way. There's a a contrast. You can conform or be transformed. Conformity is just blending in. You're just an admixture. You look like everything else here in the world. And the Bible says, don't do that. Don't conform to the world, to culture, to its belief systems, be transformed and then become light bearers. Be the change in the situation. You see, just like Pastor Guy was saying, we are part of the overcoming nature. Jesus says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, even though you will have tribulation. So it's a promise. It's it's preparation, if you will, for the disciples so that we know, hey, be ready. You're going to come against forces that don't want you to advance in the works of God in your life. Great news. <laughs> but I think you probably already know that. If you've walked with Jesus for more than a day, you've probably already realized that. It's going to get hard. But you know what else he didn't say? This is encouraging. He didn't say that it'll be miserable either. He said, you'll have joy. 
You'll have peace surpasses understanding. The world doesn't know that. They can't know that. Joy, unspeakable joy that comes from a place that can never be robbed from you. The world doesn't know that, can't know that. So while we're promised trial and tribulation, we're promised all these other wonderful things as well. Are you with me? But where is the root of this going? I think the heart of this is that as Christians, as believers, there is this pressure that's on us, especially in the world today. It's really never changed, but we're very aware of it today, increasing pressure uh, that's kind of coming against Christian values, morality, biblical standards. Am I right? There is this pressure. And I think that the church has to be asking themselves the question, not just us, the church, the body of Christ, am I prepared to hold the line? (laughs) Am I prepared to advance in the face of this opposition? Because Jesus said something else in these verses. I'm down to 5% now, so um, ah, we're halfway through. Oh. (laughs) He said, I have given them your word, And the world hates them for it. Ouch. Hate. Strong word. But he says they hate him. They hate anybody who embraces and then appropriates the word of God through godly living. The culture of this world that's under the prince of the power of the air will hate them for that. Detest, despise. But you know what else it means? And I'll bet you can relate to this one. It means to esteem less than. It means to look down on. It means to mock. It means to ridicule. It means to make fun of. Now, if you haven't yet, I'm confident at some point you will be if you're living a godly life, that there will be people who do not share those values who will ridicule, mock, look down on, and make fun of you for your faith. How will you respond in the face of these things? Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 15. He says, if the world hates you, you need to know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. You want a surefire way not to rock the boat, not to make waves, not to face opposition, ridicule, and mock? Blend in with the world. He says the world loves its own. When the pressure is on and culture wants you to bend, kneel, and agree with it, if you'll go along, the world will love you. They'll love you for it. But let me ask you something. What's more important, that we're loved by the world or that we're loved by God? What I'm about to say isn't particularly popular. I am aware of this, but I'll say it nonetheless. The world or culture would like for us to buy into this message. You need to hear me, and you need to hear me all the way through on this. The world and the culture would like us to buy into this message that we are all to come together and live harmoniously in unity. We need to all just get along. 
It sounds wonderful. (laughs) But that's not what Jesus said. He said, I actually came to bring a sword. Why did he bring a sword? Because a sword divides. Now you think, whoa, this is, you're, you're messing with me here. Jesus dividing, he's, he's about unity. He is. But where is he about unity? He is about unity amongst his family. You hearing me? He says there's one flock and there's one shepherd. He says if you're not for me, you're against me. There were many times when Jesus preached, and you know what the outcome was? It says they were divided among themselves about Jesus. Church, what am I saying to you today? I'm saying that the idea of unity is around the message of the cross and the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ If somebody comes to us and says, we want to unite, we want to come together, well, that depends. What do you want me to unite with you around? Because if it conflicts and goes against what this word is telling me and how it's telling me to live, I'm sorry, sir, I cannot do that. I can't do that. And what this does is this builds a a kind of faith that we walk with that can stand in the face of adversity and know that we can still overcome. Even in the church today, I wish this weren't so, but even in the larger church, we see these movements where you're hearing from pulpits, from pastors, if I could call them that, things like, well, we are progressive Christians. We need to understand that the Bible, while it's a great history book and gives us good lessons for life living, it's not really the infallible, inerrant word of God like we have always thought it was, and it's not really holding up to modern times and modern problems. We have to deal with that. We have to accept that and use it the way that we should. Dangerous, right? Culture would love to tell the church what to believe. Would love to. And if the church goes along, I think that we are probably staying clear of certain kinds of opposition and difficulty and being hated by culture of the world, right? Surefire way to not rock the boat and to not make waves. But if we're going to stay true, To the word of God, as Jesus said, I've given them your word, and because they're living it, the world is hating them for it, and I'm praying for them. I'm praying for them to be strengthened, to be built up. I'm praying for them to be increased in their faith. He said also things like, when I come with the sword... There will be brothers against brothers, children against parents. Now, look, we don't write these things down on little pretty post-it notes and put them all over our mirrors and our walls and our cars and profess them over ourselves. We don't. But they're a part of what God is preparing us for. Do you you agree with me? I mean, he, he needs us to know this. He needs us to see this so that we are prepared to hold the line. Because what I'm wanting to say to you, Christian, is if we will hold the line 
and stay true to our adherence of the Word of God and not compromise that it is in that life up close and personal on the front lines of culture where the seeds of revival can be sown. We sometimes have this false idea that it's like, I need to go along with the crowd. I need to blend in. Let me tell you something. If standing out for Jesus is going against culture, I'll do it any day and every day. And believe it or not, will you be ridiculed? Will you be mocked? Yeah, that will probably happen. But there will be times and there will be places where that will be the potency and the effectiveness of a life lived up close and personal with darkness all around where light can actually begin to explode. It will never happen in a muddy down, watered down, diluted version of Christianity. It will never happen that way. He says, I pray that... Through your word that you would sanctify them, which is to make them holy. We all need that. We get born again, filled with the spirit of God, heaven bound. But we all have junk Jesus needs to clean up, don't we? Except for Pastor Guy. He's pretty close. But I mean, (laughs) pretty close. I'm just saying. (laughs) We all have that. And he says the word will sanctify them. As we adhere to it and we desire to follow it, something amazing happens. God does so much with a willing and obedient heart. He's not asking you to be perfect. He's asking you to be obedient. (laughs) And through our walk of obedience and adhering to the word, something amazing happens. He sanctifies us. He makes us holy. He continues to separate us and make us stand out apart from the world even more for his glory. And that's the potency, that life that's being sanctified, that brings forth those seeds of revival in the midst of places that need it so desperately. Don't underestimate the impact from the tension that we live on the front line and choose to hold the line. Paul said this, he said, I have become all things to all men. So let's balance this all out. He's saying, I am going to people where they are. I'm meeting them in places that they're at. I would say in today's environment, that would be, I'm, I'm not above people that hang out in the bars all the time. I'm not above people that go into casinos and things like that. I have no problem sitting down and breaking bread and having conversations and getting to know people like that. Here's the difference. He says, I've become all things to all men, but even through that, I never lost my bearings in Christ. You with me? I've talked to people before, and and you just got to examine it, I think. But, oh, yeah, you know, I'm just trying to minister to them. I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry, ma'am. Like, you're sinning with them. You've put yourself in a situation where you are being swayed and affected by what's going on. You're not swaying and affecting that environment. We've got to know kind of where that line is. Paul said, I can go into all these places because I keep my bearings and footing in Christ all of the time. Are you hearing me? Uh, We have a, a story that we see in John's gospel also about a Samaritan woman who comes to a well in the middle of the day and meets Jesus. Are you familiar with this one? And uh, 
she's there in the middle of the day for a reason. It's the time of day when no one goes to the well. They draw their water in the early morning and in the evenings. Why is she there in the middle of the day when she knows no one will be there? It's simple. We can deduct from Scripture that she's bound up with shame. Jesus says, you've had four husbands and you're living with a man right now that you're not married to. And, and she's like, I perceive that you're a prophet. But she's there in the middle of the day because she's bound with shame. She is making decisions and her life is being driven, her behaviors, where she goes, where she doesn't go, who she avoids. She's making all kinds of decisions driven by the shame that she's carrying. Can I suggest to you that there are many people in our world right now today that may not realize it, but because of the shame and guilt and condemnation they're carrying around from sin that could be forgiven and removed from them by the blood of Jesus Christ, they're being driven in their life, where they go, how they behave, who they associate with, who they avoid, everything about their life is really being driven by this shame and condemnation that they're carrying around. And then there's this exchange, this dialogue between Jesus and her about a well and about a spring. And there's a contrast that's really important there. It's not the main thrust of the message here, but it's Jesus is saying, she says, I'm drinking from a well. A well is a source of water that always runs dry. Eventually it dries up. It cannot be sustained forever. But a spring, a spring-fed fountain that comes up from the depths of the earth will never run dry and it'll bring pure crystal irrigating water all the time and jesus likens himself and his message to a spring he says what you're drawing from is a well and there's a spring that you can be drinking from what's he saying what you know in this world in your culture it's just going to keep running dry you think you're going to break out of that shame condemnation and guilt By drinking from a well, you're wrong. You're going to have to drink from a spring. But if you'll take the rivers of living water that I'm offering, then every bit of that can be broken off of you. And the answers and the solutions to the problems of your heart, your soul, can be answered, but they can't be answered from this world. It's pretty good. So she says, this man told me everything I've ever done. She tells all the people in the village. And you know what happens? They come running. They come running to see and hear. And when they encounter Jesus and they begin to hear Jesus offer his words to them for themselves, this is one of the early examples we have of a revival breaking out among a Gentile people in Scripture. And they go to the woman and they say, we came at first because of what you told us. Listen to me on this. This is huge. We came to you to hear it first because of what you told us. But now that we are hearing him for ourselves, now we believe. Now they're hearing from Jesus for themselves and revival begins to break out in this community. They beg him to stay. Stay with us a few more days, Jesus. Don't leave, Jesus. Give us more, Jesus. Give us more. We want more. We're hungry. You've satiated our appetite now. We're done with the well. We want the fountain of living water. Give it to us, Lord. So yes, 
When we live the life that adheres to the word of God, there will be opposition, there will be hate, there will be people who will ridicule, but I'm telling you, there's going to be other stories that are going to come from that as well. This village of people wanted the truth. They wanted to know. They didn't want Jesus to leave. I'm convinced we're living in a day where the world is getting tired of worldly answers and solutions. The wells of today are running dry, church. People are opening their eyes and seeing, well, that's not working. Well, that's not working. Man's philosophies, man's ideas, all these things are failing me. I need something that offers me more. Meanwhile, fountains of living water are meant to be flowing right out of each and every one of us. But it isn't going to happen if we're carrying around a diluted, muddied down, lukewarm version of what this says we're supposed to be, right? It just died. All right. Let me get my bearings. Hmm. Seeds of revival sown through the lives of men and women who are living, who are standing on, who are unwilling to compromise around the authority of the word of God as scripture in our lives, as the answers and solutions to all the things in this world. Seeds of revival. I am convinced that if this village could experience revival... In other villages and other stories we, all, we know all throughout the scriptures. Why not Waterloo? I mean, come on. Why not Columbia? Why not Monroe County? Why not the greater Metro St. Louis area? I'm telling you today, I serve a God who is able, church, to bring revival and outpouring over a land. And I'm convinced that he's calling the church. Will you represent me well? Will you refuse to conform to culture? Because it'll love to tell you how to believe about things like marriage and gender and rights and life. And if we'll accept that, then the world will be okay with us. We will not be a threat. We'll get along and not rock the boat and make waves. I'm not interested in such things in my life. I'm interested in living for God, standing before Him and hearing the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. <laughs> Hallelujah. Daniel. Joseph. You know what kind of things were said about these men? They said, where could we find such a man? Joseph, those in Egypt said this. Where could we find such a man in whom the Spirit of God lives like this? Daniel in Babylon. This truly is a man with an excellent spirit. We love that. But you know what else? Let me tell you what those things cost them. It took Daniel into a pit. It took Joseph into prison. They didn't bow the knee. Joseph refused to be immoral. He could have easily slept with that woman and kept everything okay in that household, and he did not do that. He refused to be immoral because he was, he was answering to God. 
It got him into a prison. And then eventually they said, where can we find such a man as this in whom the Spirit of God dwells? He was uncompromising and unwavering into his adherence of the, the values and the words of God. Daniel, an excellent spirit, throw him in a pit before that, they say. Because he wouldn't bow down to idols and worship a king instead of his God. He said, I refuse to do it. I think we need to be asking ourselves today, church, the church, asking ourselves some questions. How far am I willing to go? How far will I hold the line when my faith is meeting opposition in the culture of this world? I have thought about such things. <laughs> Even saying things like this today. Culture in the world swaying things probably very unpopular in many pulpits. If you're looking to go to a church that kind of just dances around the nice little things that make us feel good about ourselves when we leave and get our pick-me-up and just kind of stay away from the things that make me uncomfortable, I'm sorry, but you're in the wrong place. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not really sorry, actually. Because I believe people want to hear the truth, but even more importantly, they need to hear the truth. And we are all responsible ourselves for what we do with that. And I'll close with this. <laughs> Don't close. <laughs> this is the last thing I remember from my notes. So, <laughs> I think I'm really talking to you today about revival. I think that's really what is the the fire that's kind of burning in here. And I just, I see a formula for revival in scripture that tells me it doesn't happen when the spirit of conviction isn't alive and well in the church. Adherence to truth, representing truth. There's a French philosopher in the 1800s, early, mid-1800s, named Alexis de Tocqueville. Wrote a really popular book called Democracy in America. John, I'll bet you've read it. It's like 900 pages. John loves this kind of stuff. Alexis de Tocqueville, French philosopher. He heard the stories of the thriving nature of America in those days. And he says to himself and to his people, I must go. And I have to see for myself, that I may report it to you, what is it that makes America so grand? And he came with expectations. He says in his writings, and mind you, 1800s, there was revival and awakening happening all across the America in the land. Men like Charles Finney, who were circuit riders, they didn't have audio-visual back in those days. Put the messages out over the airwaves. You know how they did it? They got on horses and they rode from town to town to town preaching the word of God, the true word of God. And men and women were coming under the spirit of conviction everywhere when they did, repenting by the masses and awakening and revival was happening all over the United States, America at the time. And Chautaucaville says, I must go and see and report what it is that makes this place so grand. He says, I went and I thought I would have found it. I looked in her harbors and in her cities. And while they were impressive, it was not there. 
He says, I looked at the vast landscape of the majesty of the mountains and the prairies and the agriculture. And while it was impressive, it was not there. I looked at their commerce and their industry and all the things that were thriving and booming. And while it was impressive, it was not there. Hallelujah. He said, when I, it wasn't until I went into her churches and I heard and saw for myself her pulpits ablaze with righteousness. It was then that I knew. Wow. It was then that I knew. America is great because America is good, he said. And when America ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Morality. The word of God. Christian, I will close with this today. As Joshua said, you need to make a choice this day. I think it's time for every one of us to ask that question, to grapple with that and say, is this going to be where I make a stand? Am I going to, at all costs, if it gets me into a pit, if it gets me into a prison, if it gets me mocked, made fun of, ridiculed, I am going to hold the line.